Boom, put boom, boom, A side, B side, what side are you on? Well, hello and welcome back to another episode of A side, B side podcast. What's going on, Adam? Uh, too much, Brooke. Too much is going on. So I, I'm excited to slow down for a little bit here and just talk to you and enjoy the afternoon for a little bit. Um, before we jump into, oh, there's so much to jump into. A lighthearted a way to start the day. Um, I get to make fun of you a little bit. Yeah. Yep. Because you'll have to go on to our socials. Adam sent me some very, very pretty flowers. You haven't actually even seen them yet. Hey, there was a picture on the website, so. Oh, okay, I, well, I, see if it's close. But um, Adam sent me some very pretty flowers because we had a little um, miscommunication and he was trying not to be the episode um, next week, so. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I didn't, I didn't want to be the subject matter in the future. <laughs> you see, I just got your picture in, in the, it's supposed to be a square vase. That is not remotely what I bought. Um. It's it's a pretty lovely vase. Leave it alone. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> it's it's FTD. So like, you're gonna get something close. But if I get like, I see my update. Does this even have the right? Okay, kinda, kinda. All right. It looks nice. Yeah, they're very pretty, very vibrant. That's good. Well, and it's it's sort of a gloomy day up here. I don't know if you've had all the weird weather down there in this last week. Uh, where we had like hail and stuff up here and it's like 50 degrees today so uh it'd be nice to see something bright and, and vibrant on a day yes. like today yes um uh, I, we I, we can't I, yeah. it feels like we just did this because we did, we did uh, and here we are again um we can't not address what just happened in the in the nation and in, in texas in uvalde texas 19 children and two adults and it there's it's so frustrating because it, you, you just feel like you're a broken record you know <sighs> this happens every couple of weeks now every couple of months and nothing changes i one of the one cool thing that i thought was that i've i started to see like i don't know if you saw the the interview with uh the golden state warriors head coach steve kerr yes yes so like he just like that was his pre-game thing they were gonna ask him a question about the game and he basically just said no we're not talking about the game and the, the like the level of righteous anger Mm-hmm. Uh, was was pretty amazing, and, and then Dave Roberts, the uh, manager of the LA Dodgers, he also spoke about it. And I don't know if it seems different. More and more, more people are speaking out outside of you know the political spectrum, and and maybe at some point we're going to make a we'll reach a critical mass, and things will change. But it just it feels like we're just and on a record that just keeps skip- yeah, that just keeps skipping. We're in the worst um, version of Groundhog Day that you can be in because it's just over and over and over. And I didn't realize that Steve Kerr's father was also a victim of gun violence. Mm -hmm. A long time ago. Yeah. When he was what, in college? I, I believe so. I think he was at Arizona when it happened. 
which would have been, you know, probably the late eighties, early nineties. Um, but it just, hopefully something changes. What I'm I mean, finding so even more frustrating <laughs> um, is now all this information coming out about how long authorities, police were outside of this school doing nothing. Yeah, it does. It is the information that is being presented is not a comforting. Like, I don't see how anyone can think that this was handled appropriately. Uh, and now we're getting all sorts of like different stories and and misinformation and it just looks real horrible yeah uh, and the and the worst thing is like the the ones that seem to react and be the most efficient and, and take action in the moment are those are the poor school kids who have been taught what to do in these situations and to an extent i think have become almost numb to how insane all of this is. I mean, when I was a kid, I remember we used to do you know, tornado drills. Everyone would go sit in the hallway, get, a, get away from the windows and you put your, your, your head down by your knees, you get underneath your, your desk. We never have active shooter drills. Now it's nothing to them. That's and they their, every day. Think about it completely just, different. Yeah. I, I don't understand how people think that this is okay, that, that, that every day, fire drill for us is now an active shooter drill that is not normal that is no. not normal and it changes how you see the world i mean i i know i've talked to my kids about stuff where they they view things like a middle schooler should never be like yeah when i'm in the room i look to see what i could use as a weapon to protect myself right it's insane and it's become it's it's become society like we we built it into the curriculum now as a we would rather teach children how to you know respond to a situation rather than stop the situation from happening and that's just asinine it's and and then you look at other countries and they're looking at us like how do you have school shootings yeah how is this still happening how do you have you know, mass shootings of any kind? Not just repeated. Yeah. Consistently. Like, I mean, they don't seem to happen as much in the winter, I guess. Because, but I don't know. Maybe the, maybe the last two years with everyone not going out as much, you, you think it would change? I, I don't know. It's incredibly discouraging and it's all the same noise. And people draw their lines and they, they stand on their side and they yell at the other side and nothing changes. And meanwhile, the kids are in the middle and they're the ones getting hurt. Well, you know, like we did for Buffalo and I hate to say any futures, but we will have a link to the GoFundMe to help um, Uvalde the school it's a verified gofundme we'll have that on our website this is it's way beyond old and terrible and disgusting it's it 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 
needs to it's be exhausting done and fixed and stop tweeting out your thoughts and prayers as you're accepting yeah. millions from these lobbies and the NRA and fix it. And you'd think if you had a product that you wanted to protect, you would make sure that people were not using it incorrectly instead of defending the people who are using it incorrectly. Right. You know, we figured out, hey, maybe seatbelts are a good idea in cars. You know, we all take off our shoes because one dude 22 years ago tried to make his shoe into a bomb. So we, now we take our shoes off every time we get on the airport. We're doing it for 22 years because of Gosh. one guy. And we can't, we can't even say, oh, hey, maybe, maybe an 18-year-old shouldn't be able to buy a military weapon. <sighs> uh, so that, that I thought uh, honestly, that my the most depressing part of my week was going to be the watching the This Us finale. Uh, but reality, I can't believe you watched it. I I walked in, and one one of the cool things about my building is that we have this lobby, and there are people that congregate down there. Whether it's you know the Super Bowl or uh, sporting events, or like a live Adele concert, or like certain episodes of shows, people get together, and it's always it's way more fun to experience like big social, like cultural events with other people. Mm -hmm. And so I walked in and it was just starting and everybody was sitting there and there was, there was a chair available. And I was like, you know what? I have never watched this show. I've never been all that interested in it, but I really love finales because they can be so good or they can be so bad, but either way, it's going to be something. And having not watched the show, and I, we're, I guess we're rolling right into the A side here, if, if you're cool with it. That's um, fine. I had never watched the show. Uh, I've heard, a, I've heard a lot of it. I know it's one of your favorites. And I was like, okay, we're definitely going to talk about that this week. So I'm going to watch it. I'm going to share it with these people in the lobby as well. And I'll be damned if I didn't know anything about the story, barely anything about the story. Like I know that it was... You know, there was a family and like Mandy Moore and uh, is it Milo Ventimiglia? Terror- Milo, Milo Ventimiglia. Milo? Yeah, what I said. Um, <laughs> clearly, it was, a, it was the same, same pronunciation. Thing. Same thing. Same thing. Uh, I knew they were in it, uh, and, but really didn't know that much about the show at all or how the family, you know, dynamic was or any of that stuff. But here I am crying three times in the lobby with other people tearing up because of different moments in the show. And I'm like, I don't even, I don't even know these characters' names. Like, <laughs> I'm like, well, this is impressive. Uh, and I'm sure, you know, if you're into the show, you've already seen it. Uh, if you're not into it, probably there'll be some spoilers in here. Uh, but I think at this point, if you stumbled upon this podcast and you think there aren't going to be something spoiled, uh, you, you've made a great mistake. <laughs> uh, but it was, I, not knowing anything about the show or the family, they did such a good job of, of kind of showing the whole thing wrapped up. And I felt like I came in at the very last minute, but understood what was happening. Because mm-hmm. uh, they do the whole, like I didn't, I got confused because I didn't realize, and I'm assuming this is how it's always been. There's a lot of like time jumps. Yes. A lot of flashbacks. And so I remember at some point hearing that uh, Milo had, his character had died. Mm-hmm. 
but then he's there and i'm like what's going on like i thought this guy it died but it's like they're jumping around in time and probably the two scenes that got me the most was the two boys shaving with dad Mm -hmm. which is just such a classical like parent fatherhood trope thing mm-hmm. but i mean i remember i had like now i i don't never got to use a real razor when i was young but i had a fake razor that little plastic razor that i would use when my dad was shaving and my son had a plastic razor when he was like five years old that he would use when i was shaving and it was like one of those cultural touchstone moments and they i thought they did a really great job of you know kind of working it all together. And then it took me, and it is sad, it took me about 20 minutes to figure out that the old, the people at the, the old people at the funeral mm-hmm. were the kids. <laughs> okay. Because okay. I was coming in late. So yes. I thought it was, I thought it was really good. Uh, and it did send me on a TV series finale uh, search wormhole for the last couple of days. And I wanted to, to look at it. There's so many different ways because I think when I think about season finales or series finales, more often than not, I think about the negative ones. And, you know, like Game of Thrones really felt like they were like, okay, guys, time to wrap it up. And mm-hmm. they, you know what? I don't feel like anybody got the, the reward that they wanted. And then, of course, there's Sopranos where it feels like they left in the middle of it. You know, we didn't actually get to see what happened. And then we'll have series finales like for Breaking Bad where it seems like everything is sewed up and then they'll do like a movie two years later that like adds more to it it's like so I wanted to look back at series finales that were kind of like I know it felt like This Is Us was a big thing on Tuesday but when I look back at how big some season finales had been Mm -hmm. and how like everyone was watching uh it blew, blew me away so I went through and I was looking at a lot of different articles online and trying to find you know I figured we need a measurement right because everything's okay. so subjective, whether or not it's you know a good finale or not. I said, okay, so today we're going to look at the 10 most watched season finales, because this always brings me back to one of my favorite little nuggets that I, that I love about, about series finales mm-hmm. that we'll talk about in a second. Okay. Uh, but there are a lot out there that did not make the top 10. Uh, there are a lot of lists that say, this is the greatest finale. This is the greatest finale. This is the greatest finale. There's a lot of ones that you know, even if they're considered great, weren't really on the list. And they're between the years, it's also fluctuated. But the top 10 uh, highest rated, so most people watched, and then my favorite metric, the, you know, percent of all TVs, uh, the share aspect are, mm-hmm. so first we got number 10. And this one I did not realize, but I did remember so Family Ties, which ended in 1989. At this point, uh, Michael J. Fox is a huge star. He's doing movies. It's just natural that he's going to move on. The show is ending, and it's called Alex Doesn't Live Here Anymore, and he, he moves away and, and goes away. He's always kind of fighting with his father. But what I did remember, because I don't remember watching the Family Ties finale, but I one of my favorite, because I'm a Michael J. Fox guy, I've watched literally everything the man has done. Mm-hmm. Uh, even like the, the bad Vietnam movie and Frighteners, which nobody likes, uh, you know, just I've seen every one of his movies and most of his shows. But in when he was in Spin City and he was leaving Spin City because of his Parkinson's diagnosis, 
one of the nice little call outs at the end of the finale, which wraps up two different series, was that he mentioned he was moving to D.C. to become a lobbyist. And his, his first appointment which was with uh, Senator Alex P. Key. I so remember in, that. Yeah. So in the Spin City finale, we find out that Alex B. Keaton has become a senator. It was like kind of a neat way to tie them both together, uh, which it was the 10th most watched finale of all time. But that reminded me of one that didn't make the top 10 list, which is my favorite finale, I think, of any show that I've ever seen. And that was Newhart, which ended in 1990. Oh, that's so good. And Bob Newhart, who's this is his second run of a sitcom. And he's this, you know, author who lives up in, I think, Vermont or New Hampshire, Maine, running an inn and everything. And it, he gets hit in the head with a golf ball. And then he wakes up and he's back in bed with his wife from the Newhart show back, which ended years before. It turns out the entire, you know, idea of him owning a uh, an inn and that whole story and, and, and Daryl and his other brother, Daryl. Uh, was all in his head and it was all a dream, which pops up a lot. Don't forget Larry. In, in, and Larry. Larry. It was Larry, Daryl. And Darryl, my other brother, Daryl. Mother brother, Daryl. Uh, it was such a fun show. I loved those guys when I was a kid. I remember watching that with my folks. So it didn't make the top 10, but one of my favorites. Uh, number nine, uh, which was over 42 million people. And that was 17.8% of the U.S. population back in 1979, uh, was a show that I only got to see in reruns. And oddly enough, one that my brother, my little brother, liked so much more than me. He would watch it. uh, And I'd be like, I don't want to watch this. I'm going to go outside and play basketball or like Legos or something. But he loved All in the Family, which in hindsight, a little kid watching All in the Family is kind of weird. Uh, but he was he was a big uh, Rob Reiner meathead guy uh, for a little bit there. So it was the ninth most uh, watched finale, of course. Uh, All in the Family then spun off both the Jeffersons and Maude. And I think there were five, yeah, five characters from the show that went on to do other things, to have other shows. And that's always the fun thing about a lot of finales, too. It's the end, but it's not the end. Because mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of times there's a spinoff. I don't know that there's going to be a spinoff of This Is Us because it just feel like the show was continuing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but com- comedies and sitcoms do a much better job of spinning off the characters after the finale. Uh, another one that I remember watching that had over 44.4 million viewers and just under uh, 17.3% of the population. It was in 1992. Uh, it is hard now to think of how uh, Bill Cosby was considered before everything that's come out in the last few years. Uh, Hindsight definitely changes it, but it was, I remember watching the Cosby show and loving the show and I learned so much from it. And they did the spinoff where they had the different world. And we we talked about uh, Dwayne Wayne last week Mm -hmm. uh, as well. So that it's one that I don't, you know, you can't, no, no station is going to be putting Cosby on syndicated right now. Uh, so sadly, I feel like because of the action, real life actions, the stories and scandal that we've heard, that one is going to kind of fade from the national consciousness, uh, which is really, which is sad it's because a, it was a really. It is really sad because the show itself, like you said, was so beautiful and so entertaining and looking at it from my aspect, it was a show about a beautiful black family professional mom professional dad it wasn't stereotypical 
Um, they had these beautiful, intelligent children. I mean, it was your all American family yeah. that happened to be black. And it was, that it was a cultural moment. Like yeah. Right. And, and to be fair, doesn't get shown enough, even, you know, now 30, 40, 30 years later. Yeah. I mean, you've, you've got, I would say that like blackish is probably the, the like, uh, same sort of tone ancestor style right uh but mainstream wise yes yeah mainstream and like on the on the on the mainstream stuff so it's it's a, it's sad that we've lost uh the cosby show because of the realities uh so the number seven on the list was magnum pi which uh had over 50 million people watch it uh, which was like 20 percent of the population that one of course is famous because he figures out that higgins uh is actually robin the entire time oops spoiler alert sorry of a 30 was, year 40 year show yeah 34 year old show so i'm sorry yeah, yeah higgins uh has actually been robbing the whole time so uh then of course one that was a little bit more recent in 2004 was friends they only had 52 million 52 and a half million people watch it which feels low because i mean it's only sixth on this list and that i felt like the friends bonanza like people love that show and it, it's been, it's still out there everywhere. I mean, you'll, you'll be on Instagram or TikTok and there's clips just all the time. Uh, so I was a little surprised that it wasn't more. Uh, and there's a big jump from six to, to five. Okay. Seinfeld, Seinfeld, which is often considered a really horrible finale uh, because no one really likes it. And of course, all the, the characters end up in jail at the end, spoiler alert. Uh, but it had 76 million people watch it. So a jump of almost you know 50% over top six. Uh, one that I did not even imagine was going to be on this list because I thought I forgot it existed as a series before it was a movie. But in 1967, uh, almost 40% of the US population watched the finale of The Fugitive. Oh, which yeah, I that one that one blew me away. But like 1967, having over 78 million people watching one episode, kind of amazing. One that I remember watching with my folks, and uh, I have a special place in my heart because I actually worked at Cheers for two years when I was in Boston, and absolutely loved the show. And when we at that point, the only the first season was out on DVD, so we just had it playing on a loop. So I could probably do a one-man show about the entire first season line by line because uh, I watched it so many times uh, they had almost 100 million people so 93.5 million people or 36 percent of the U.S. population watched the Cheers finale which of course uh, brought Diane back and Diane and Sam not getting back together and and then Fraser moving to uh, Seattle and of course started his own show and that's actually the, considered the most successful show and spinoff of all time because he went on for 11 seasons and won tons of awards as well of course that one seems to have changed because he's his reputation has taken a little bit of a hit as well uh, another one from the earlier part of the century in 1977 100 million people or almost 46 percent of the u.s population sat down for the finale or the seventh episode of the miniseries roots yeah which i had it's one we watched in school because it was part of our um, curriculum, but I think I did not realize how big of a cultural thing that was and how here we are 45 years later and we, a good portion of the population should really watch it again. In, in my humble opinion. I agree with you. 
And of course, then it brings me to our last and the number one show finale in terms of rating that will never be broken and had more people. It was the number one rated live event until the 2010 Super Bowl. So numbers putting up the Super Bowl, 53.5% of all U.S. population, 125 million people. So, you know, a quarter more than second place was uh, the MASH, Goodbye, Farewell, and Amen, the finale to the series of MASH. And that will never be touched. I remember when we were, when I was a kid and Cheers was coming up on their final episode and I was listening to the radio in the morning and they were talking about, you know, will Cheers be able to, to top the number? And the number is so big. That's just, I mean, part of it is it wasn't as much to watch. There wasn't cable TV as, as well, you know, as wide. We didn't have all the streaming services. So you, you know, there were less options but to have a audience as big as the Super Bowl for one single series finale is pretty amazing and still one of my favorite facts. I mean, one out of every two people in the country was watching that one show. We can't do that. We can't get one out of every two people to vote. We you can't know get what's one out really of funny about that show too is the show lasted like three times longer than the war that it was depicting oh yeah 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 that's i mean it it the articles some articles i said uh that i read said that it was an important social time because it helped by talking about the korean war it helped people deal with vietnam which mm-hmm. that felt overly simplistic because i don't really feel like we've dealt with vietnam mm-hmm. and i i'm as a kid i remember thinking that they were in vietnam when i was watching mash until i figured out it was in korea because korean is all korea is often called the forgotten war because we just don't really talk about it uh but amazing that one out of every two people had watched it i am curious to see what the ratings will be uh for last night's or no sorry tuesday nights this is us finale I don't think it's going to be anywhere near these top 10 numbers just because there's so much competition. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, and it's always hard to know, like there were 10 of us in the lobby watching one TV. So how, how does, how does Nielsen know how many people are, are truly watching, right. uh, especially when you've got groups together and stuff, but uh, I'll be interested to see if it, it gets anywhere near the numbers. Uh, it was enjoyable. I don't want to go back and watch the rest of the series because i know it's going to make me cry because it made me cry without knowing anything about the characters uh <laughs> just dropping in in the finale moment and getting all teary-eyed so uh very impressed by this is us i knew it was good just not my jam from a emotional standpoint but uh hopefully we'll uh be able to have some finales in the future that have cultural significance almost as much as mash but that will never be touched it's like Joe DiMaggio's 56 game hit streak, you know, the UCLA winning like 10 out of 11 basketball championships, just not ever going to be touched again. And the fact that one out of every two people was watching it weird would it been to have been one of the two people that wasn't watching it and then right? the next day everybody's talking about it. And you're like, Oh man, I had to work or I went to bed early. You know, it's, that feels like something that most people have probably said they've seen it. Like, you know, any sporting event, when you talk, when there are a number of people that say they were there, it's always like five times as big as this, as the stadium. Uh, so I'm sure there's a lot of people that had to pretend the next day that they'd watch MASH because they were completely out of the loop. So quick side note before you wrap up the A side, because you mentioned mm-hmm. Seinfeld and mm-hmm. there is a uh, Seinfeld coffee. Uh, well, actually, it's four 
um, it's like a pack. It's a four pack of Seinfeld inspired coffee. Each character like basically has their own inspired uh, coffee really? flavor. Yeah. The the amount of things that they they have created to kind of to connect with these shows, and I thought it, it was dangerous because when I started down this project, I was like, okay, I got to figure out a way to focus because there's so many finales. Like when I look at some of the best lists, like Angel was on there on one list, and Buffy was on there, and I'm like, wow, I got to mention those because those those are definitely ones that Brooke probably watched in the moment, mm-hmm. if not multiple times. Yes, uh, I mean, Battlestar Galactica was one of those. Where, it ticked people off. Uh, Quantum Leap. I did not find out any of this list, these lists, which was weird to me because that was such a huge finale when I was a kid watching it and trying to figure out everything and how he never really got home and how that was kind of a buzzkill. And then the Star Trek, the next generation uh, finale, which was just outside of the top 10. It only had about like 30 million viewers. Uh, but I remember that one, how it kind of wrapped everything back to the beginning with Q and Picard and, and how, yeah, that was a big deal. But of course, then they've had a million movies and, and things since then. So they couldn't really wrap it up. But uh, it's really cool to see. But it's dangerous when you go down these black holes because you can get you get swallowed up and lose a couple days. <laughs> I I'm impressed with that list. I mean, I can't really disagree with it number wise, but I mean, show wise itself, I think it's a pretty good list. Yeah, I mean they're all they're all huge uh, shows for the time. I didn't realize I had no idea that the Fugitive was as big a deal as it was. I didn't either, but I knew it was a big deal when the Tommy Lee Jones version came out, and like they were yeah. talking about, they referenced it, so I knew it was a big deal. I didn't know it was that big of a deal. Yeah, I, I knew it was like oh, like I thought it was like on kind of like the like Mission Impossible level. Like people liked it, but like to have for a long time to have one of the you know until. So they were the top, that was the highest rated finale from 1967 to 1977. And it's still in the top 10, 45 years later. I had no idea it was that big a deal. Yeah. All right. And that is the A side. Oh, I also, um, because I, w- I, w- I was in trouble yesterday because we didn't, we, I, we had miscommunication and I, uh, we were not able to record at our normal time. Uh, so then I stumbled upon uh, a sh- show to try to like you know i always watch like white collar leverage they're my like comfort shows um castle and that sort of thing but i rewatched the proposal last night oh my uh, which was so ridiculously weird like here i'm, I'm watching like a, a date movie from 2005 with an impossibly young ryan reynolds uh he looks so young in that movie but it was it was really enjoyable i forgot how like the rest of the cast of that movie is really good. Betty White's in there, Mary Steenburgen, uh, Craig T. Nelson, uh, even um, Madeline. Uh, no, Madeline Achick. Oh. I never pronounce her name correctly because I don't uh, pronounce things correctly, but a lot of fun uh, and definitely worth a watch if you find it on your streaming service. All right. So is that the A side? That is the A side. So go go enjoy some series finales, and uh, if you're in a bad mood, watching Sandra Bullock will probably put you in a much better mood. I, I just want to say real fast, since it is this is us that kind of put you in this rabbit hole, um, the fact that you could appreciate and get into the characters based on one episode. Yeah. Imagine wow. watching six full seasons of that. 
that's why I didn't want, that's, that's why I'm not going to go back and do it. I do not have the emotional uh, fuel to get through that. <laughs> I know that by, that if I had learned more about the characters or had gone through what, like, what is that? 20 episodes for six years mm-hmm. uh, that that would have been a lot. Man, six years. That takes, that is a long, imagine how much has changed in the last six years. Oh, and I think, like that started was Obama still in office? Yes. I think so. Like, yeah. That's crazy. Think about that. It was or it was getting out of office. Yeah, it was like the, that would have been probably the fall of 2016. Yeah. So, uh, and one of the my favorite parts and the parts for me that kind of well there was two um the hay uh, you, you get the reference if you saw mm-hmm. it. The hay, the the first hay, and then that the last hay, and then the three when they said, you know, um, and then Dad said, um, or along came me, and Dad said, yeah. Yeah. we, and that you know, big three. That yeah. of course has been the consistent theme throughout the uh, six years. But to- yeah, and I and I had no idea like that's literally one of the moments when I figured it out I was like trying to figure out which character was which mm-hmm. and and like you know uh and then when they did that whole thing I was like oh these three are the kids okay and it was impressive but I'm guessing that's that's kind of their their non-stop saying yes that's okay. that's what that was their constant like hey we are these triplets we're family you know yeah um but it was it's a it was a beautiful show. Like it was one of my favorites. I've actually thought of going to like start it all over again because it has been six years and so many things yeah, have happened last season. So um, those writers, I follow them on Twitter. They are amazing. I mean, and they genuinely you can tell they this is this was a passion project for them. So well, it definitely seems like all of the the actors this was a big part. It was, this was a huge thing in their, in their lives. The, the fact mm-hmm. that six years ago, the idea of a, of a drum, like a dramedy starring Mandy Moore. Yeah. Uh, right. Like right? this is, this is like bubblegum pop. I mean, that's one of the first things I, when I heard this was happening, I'm like, what Mandy Moore is playing. Like she's doing like dramedy, like heavy stuff now. And I got to tell you, she, killed it oh like, yeah yeah if you had told me six years ago that i would be this impressed and attached to freaking mandy moore i'm like yeah okay whatever it well and it, and the trust that the that the writers put to all the characters mm-hmm. but she had the one who had the like you know she played she was in both the past and the present you know mm-hmm. everybody else was kind of was played by different actors or you know because milo was never in the future right uh or present day so it she was the one who really was the thread that held it all together, which makes sense because, you know, that's often moms are the ones that kind of hold everything together. But was there another husband at one point? Yes. Miguel. Okay. Cause there, the, cause there were people I was watching it with were like, wow, we just forgot about Miguel. <laughs> I was like, well, Miguel? What? and even Miguel kind of knew that he was second fiddle to, to Jack yeah. always. It wasn't like he ever came in and was like, I'm going to be better than Jack. He, kind of knew he was Jack's best friend and he knew what the two of them had so it was never like he was trying to replace him he just filled a void I guess and and not in like a negative way like she didn't love him but yeah yeah yeah. 
I mean, it's it's just an interesting challenge for the writers to is like you want to be able to show those two love stories, but then obviously the most narrative connection is the two of them back together. Right. You know, and it's it was funny when somebody was like, "Well, <laughs> guess we just forgot about Miguel." I was like, "Oh." <laughs> And we didn't forget about Miguel. We saw Miguel, like, you know, there was a, you missed it, but like last week leading up to this, there was like a whole, um, trains were a big deal for her. And so there was this whole like train theme and throughout parts of her life, she saw different people in different cars and he was in one of the cars. We didn't forget about him. Chill out. (laughs) I'm cool. I just thought it was, I thought it was funny because I was like I don't know what you're talking about, but okay. One what, what of my one of my neighbors was was a little miffed that they didn't feel like they, that Miguel got a good send off. So. <laughs> Miguel got an entire episode. He got an amazing send off. Well, there you go. And he's good. He's good. Like I said, I came in very late. I don't. You can't really come in later than I did. So. <laughs> All right. Is that the A side? That's the A side. So, um, of course, switching gears like we do, uh, mine's not all laughy, laughy, um, emotional happiness. Um, but, uh, well, we know that cause <laughs> yeah, it's, it's the flip side, that's you know, flip side. That's, that's we, we do a little bit of both. Yeah. yeah. So this week we talk about, uh, someone who terrorized, uh, Baton Rouge for yeah. about a 10 year span, uh, ten years. from, yeah, from the, mid mid 90s to the mid 2000s oh so this is a recent one so this will make me even more uncomfortable <laughs> this week we are talking about sean vincent gillis so sean was born on june 24th of 1962 in baton rouge um mm-hmm. and he was raised in louisiana his whole life he was the son of yvonne and norman gillis his father uh, who suffered from mental illness and alcoholism, actually left the family shortly after Sean was born. It's been reported that he actually checked himself into several different institutions. So Sean was raised by his mom and his grandparents. His mom worked actually worked for a TV station. She recalled her son being a really good kid with average grades. Are there many parents, though, that are like, my kid was a horrible kid? Yeah, no, I don't, it, it doesn't look good on the folks to be like, I mean, occasionally we'll hear it. Like the parents will be like, he was evil eating. We couldn't, you know, couldn't deal with him. So, but most of the time it's like, no, he was, he was nice. He was quiet. I, I mean, Never even Ted Bundy's parents were like, his mom was like, no, he was, Teddy was a great kid. And I was like, well, uh-huh. Uh-huh. well it's, I think it's hard to, 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 for parents to accept sometimes that their kid may be a monster. I mean, we, we saw with, uh, just this this last winter with um, the Brian, uh, they went camping and she disappeared. And then his parents basically oh, hit, hit, yeah, but like his parents basically covered for him for like mm-hmm. as long as they could until he went in like offed himself in a in a swamp or something. Yeah, yeah. It's it's hard for parents to to accept. I think. So Sean starts to develop or show a more violent side of his personality as he gets older especially during, you know, his teen adolescent years. And he starts just getting angrier and angry and angrier. Uh, One neighbor named Carolyn Clay says that she one time heard a loud banging at like three o'clock in the morning. And she saw saw him in his front yard, just, just mercilessly beating on some garbage cans. 
She also said that he was prone to fits of anger like that. Like that wasn't the first time. That's just one instance. She said he was an angry young boy. So by the age of 17, he starts getting a rap sheet with some minor infractions. After high school, he attends community college for a little bit, and he has several low-paying jobs while he's still living with his mother. He did reunite with his father for a bit after high school, but the relationship became uh, problematic because he found out that his father was gay. So like I said, his rap sheet starts about 1980 when he's 17, and throughout the years, he's arrested for multiple different reasons, like traffic citations, he's got a DUI or two. Uh, possession of marijuana and then he's got like a contempt of court charge and this goes on for off and on for years finally when he hits about 30 his mom remember who's in television moves to atlanta for a job now he's 30 years old mm-hmm. been living with his mom this whole time he's got issues already had some issues well he gets kind of pissed off at his mom he for gets for moving he's he's lonely he becomes obsessed with pornography he's still flitting around from low-paying job to low like low-paying job his mom who moves to better herself sends him money doesn't matter to him doesn't help he's still pissed at her for leaving i mean right. you know even though he's 30 right. i mean like she couldn't have a life or anything he unleashes his anger by screaming into the sky and hitting garbage cans, hence, like the neighbor had reported. Right. He did, however, manage to get a certification on computers after graduating from community college. Uh, In 1992, he's caught peeking into a neighbor's window, and somehow, despite his anger issues and his porn obsession, he is able to get a girlfriend, and they begin dating. Wow. Yes, there's somebody for everybody apparently yeah he's got his girlfriend he's got his anger issues he's got his obsession we know that he's got his loneliness and all of this swirl it all up mix it all up and we have his first murder which he commits in 1994 is um of 81 year old ann bryan in march of 1994 he claims he only intended to rape her but he got frightened when she screamed as he touched her. So to stop her from screaming, he slit her throat, almost decapitating her. And then he stabs her 50 times. Good Lord. You know, because he only wanted to rape her, but he got scared. He leaves her body at her residence at St. James Place, which is uh, like a really, really nice retirement home in Baton Rouge. These stab wounds were concentrated on her head, her chest and her genitals. His obsession leads him to, um, his pornography obsession leads him to Mm -hmm. sites that depict rape, death, dismemberment. He once even showed his wife, Terry, a photo of a deceased woman, but she brushes it off. It's a weird thing to brush off. Uh, Yeah. Can't, Can't be real easy to brush off. It's not like, oh, you know, that's weird. Right. There's a, there's a bunch of stuff out there. Stuff goes viral and you can shake it off, but this doesn't, this seems a little bit more morbid and uh, disturbing and concerning. Quite a bit more. 
1999, in May, he uh, starts stalking a woman that he had seen jogging in a south area of Baton Rouge. He stalks her for three weeks. He's driving around looking for her. Finally, about 5.30 in the morning on May 30th of 1999, it's a Sunday. He sees her, 52-year-old Hardy Schmidt. She's jogging. Two days later, her body is found in a bayou uh, in St. James Parish. (sighs) Sean Gillis confesses later that he had actually hit her with his car and knocks her into a ditch. He then got out and put a wire wrap tightly around her and forced her into the car. He drives her off to another area where he rapes her and then kills her. After her murder, he puts her undressed body into the drunk trunk of his car, which was a white Chevy Cavalier. And then he leaves it in the car for two days and then dumps it. That, so, in, in Louisiana. In Louisiana. In May. In May. Yes. You got to feel like somebody smelled something. Seriously. So that was in May of 1999, and he would continue for five more years. He would sometimes drop his victims off or chop off his victims' hands and feet. He'd sometimes carve off their tattoos. Getting even worse, he would sometimes save body parts as trophies, and he was a necrophiliac. He once even showered with a victim's body. So, of course, his murders are unsolved until a man named Derek Lee Todd is apprehended in May of 2003. So investigators are looking at Derek Lee Todd, who happened to be another serial killer in the area at the time, and they're looking at him and they're able to link some murders to him. But then they're like, wait, these don't actually fit his profile. We had another serial killer. Oh, that's got to be a horrible realization. Like having one is bad enough, but you're like, right. oh, great. We got two. Yeah. Yeah. So it's the last victim that um, actually gets him in trouble. Her name is Donna Bennett Johnston. She's 43 years old. She's his eighth and final victim in February of 2004. He rapes her with a nylon tie wrap and strangles her. And then as he had done with other victims, he completely mutilates her body. He's it's, it's so graphic. I'm not going to say everything that he does because it's so graphic. Yeah. Um, he cuts off body parts. He cuts off a tattoo. Uh, again, it's graphic. And then he actually takes photos of her after everything he's done to her. It's a, probably as a trophy style something Mm -hmm. so there's letters uh, excuse me uh her body he dumps her body in a drainage canal near louisiana state university in baton rouge now remember donna donna bennett johnson is his eighth and final victim and her body like i said was dumped near a canal and there were tire tracks that are found around her body and those tire tracks are how they were able to trace it back to sean vincent gillis The tracks were from a very unique set of tires. And so the Louisiana State Crime Lab was able to determine the brand, model, and type of tire 
And then from there, they were able to further narrow it down because this one type of tire was only manufactured for a three-year period that ended in 2003. And of all those tires that were made, only 90 of them had been uh, made in the Baton Rouge area. So when you see this stuff on TV shows and movies, they're like, yeah, we, we tracked it by the, the tires. And it always feels like, really, can they? But it, but it's reality. They can. they can do it. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. So they're able to uh, get a DNA sample from Sean Vincent Gillis, and they match it to some of the evidence found on victims' bodies, and he is arrested. It, of course, it's a match, and he's arrested uh, April 29th of 2004. He's charged with various crimes, um, of course, murder, 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 murder. Initially, he was charged for the murder of Catherine Hall, Johnny Mae Williams, and Donna, uh, Donna Bennett Johnson. Well, while he's in jail, he gets, um, he starts writing a longtime friend of Donna Bennett Johnston. Her name is Tammy Perpera. They become pen pals. They're exchanging letters. Like <laughs> in one letter, he even tells Tammy about Donna Bennett's murder. He says, she was so drunk, it only took a minute and a half to succumb to unconsciousness and, to, and then death. Honestly, her last words were, I can't breathe. I still puzzle over the post-mortem dismemberment and cutting. There must be something deep in my subconscious that really needs that kind of macabre action. What? This is her friend. This is her friend. Writing, so. Yes. So now yes. remember, he's, he's arrested. He's in jail while they're writing because he's arrested in 2004. Well, they don't communicate long because unfortunately, Tammy passes away from complications of AIDS um, in 2005. But before she does, she turns these letters over to prosecutors and they are able to use them against him in his trial. Absolutely. He's basically confessing left and right. Mm -hmm. So again, he stands trial July 21st of 2008. And he's found get guilty and sentenced to life in prison. The previous year, he actually pled guilty to second-degree murder and was convicted of the killing of 36-year-old Joyce Williams. He's incarcerated uh, at Louisiana State Prison in the Feliciana Parish. So, of course, a lot of times cases like this make it into television shows and documentaries and things like that. Mm -hmm. So, Investigation Discovery uh, discussed Sean Vincent Gillis in the series called The Devil You Know, the episode is called A Twisted Mind. There was also another investigation discovery series called Dead of Night, and the episode that features Sean Vincent Gillis is called Gra uh, Graveyard Shift. Criminal Confessions aired an episode about him and talked about his confession in 2017. In 2018, CBS had a TV show called Evidence of Evil, and it made two episodes one about him and one about Derek Lee Todd, who was the other serial killer active in Louisiana at the same time as him. Who was the one where the cops went, oh, wait, this doesn't fit. We must have two. Uh-huh. He was also the subject of an investigation discovery series called uh, Signs of a Psychopath. It was season three, episode three, Do Her Mortal Harm, which aired September of 2021. And uh, there was a TV show called Mark of a Killer, and he was featured in the episode named The Monster uh, in 2022, so this year. Goodness. I mean, it's, it's, it should be of no surprise to 
us who do a podcast about murder and true crime, but the appetite and interest and just how much desire there is for people to to look at these stories. It's just like half that we have this many shows about one guy. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it still blows me away. You wonder if there's a a chicken or the egg scenario there. Right, right. So I did tell you, like I did mention, he is still currently incarcerated and it has been reported that um, he has expressed remorse for his crimes. Whether that is true and verifiable, I don't know. Yeah, because you sure didn't sound like he was, he was remorseful in the letters to Tammy. So, I mean, how do you write to somebody's longtime friend and describe what you did to them like that? How do you even get the address? What, like, you like saw it on a witness list? It was like, oh, that sounds like a nice name. I should write her a letter. I, I mean, and the fact that she, I mean, I, I can get why you want answers. So she, I'm sure that's why she continued to exchange them and she was able to use them as evidence. But like, yeah. initially, how do you bring yourself to even write back? Yeah, they're, they're, you have to hope that she was doing it almost as a like private detective trying to get as much info. Like this is an opportunity and this is how I will, you know, help uh, put this guy away. Yeah, uh, but it's a weird thing to do. I, that we've heard of a lot of weird relationships yeah. involving serial killers in our ninety-four episodes. That is the that is unique, though. That he writes and communicates back and forth, pen pals with one of his victims' friends. That that in and of itself uh, is a unique circumstance. After all of these different things we've heard. I do love the fact that they were able to track him down, like you said, because <laughs> it sounds like such a TV show. They were like, oh, these tires. And only 90 of these tires were in Louisiana. And this is made, this fits a certain make and model. And they were able to like track it to him like that. I, I yeah, think that's it, really it feels, cool. it feels very much like, like a plot from a TV show, like something I would see on NCIS that right. it f- feels a little like, oh, that's, that's too convenient. But sometimes you got to, you know, use what you can use. I and mean, we had to use tax you know, a lot to get Capone. So if it takes tires to get this guy. That's okay too. Yeah. They use taxes to get R. Kelly too. So <laughs> taxes will get you. <laughs> There's something about criminals and taxes. So, <laughs> well, I mean, taxes is just hard. I know you've seen the meme whether where it's like, Hey, the government, uh, we need you to pay uh, us some money about all your income. And you're like, Oh, Hey, Cool. government tell me how much you're like no we can't tell you that right. but if you're wrong but if we're wrong because we know the number but we won't tell you the number but if you if you don't guess the number right then you're going to jail it's like right. what is how is this a system <laughs> you imagine you go to you go to the grocery store and like they ring up everything but there's you can't see the register it just says guess right. and if you're wrong you go to jail <laughs> there'd be a lot of hungry people because be, or yeah. a lot of people getting like with calculators and i mean it's just hmm. I, w- I mean i'd buy one thing at a time yeah yeah basically <laughs> we're gonna be here for a while so yeah, it's gonna uh... be a bit so <laughs> but anyway there you go that is the story of sean vincent gillis and that is the b-side this week but at least he's in jail i mean i would feel a lot more comfortable if he was no longer upon this plane of existence but at least he's in jail but i love new orleans in louisiana i did not realize that at one point they had like multiple serial killers running around louisiana that is but but then again is it surprising because it's louisiana 
Yeah. I mean, I've really enjoyed my time there, but I also haven't, you know, it's hot. Heat, heat makes people crazy. Mm-hmm. That's why I still don't understand why he could have that car, that body in his trunk for two days and nobody noticed. Right. Yeah, but. But he got caught and he's in jail and he has the strangest pen pal story in the world. <laughs> but there you go. That's the B side. Um, again, uh, on our website, all our sources, uh, links and everything. And, the, and, and also the GoFundMe for uh, Uvalde, the, this, the, the uh, Rod Elementary School in Uvalde. There is a verified GoFundMe mm-hmm. and that is on our website as well. And I really hope that we don't have to talk about something like that anytime soon. Is, it feels it feels like every week right now, and it's it's got to stop. Oh uh, well, you know the drill. Website. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, a side, B side podcast. Where.site or a side bsidepodcast.com uh you can go to that website you can get all of our links to whichever platform you would like to listen to it on itunes stitcher spotify any of those are also on youtube uh it's always fun to look at the numbers and see how things uh stack up still itunes is leading and iphones are leading uh so that's kind of fun for me from a stats nerd so uh thank you for providing that uh you could also buy brook a coffee at buymeacoffee.com and type in a side b side podcast um i cannot get her flowers every week uh, <laughs> but she does a lot worthy of flowers every week and if we do coffee every now and then uh that will definitely cut down on my florist budget uh which will get a little out of control at some point uh, again we're on all the socials uh facebook instagram uh myspace um I've still got my live journal out there. So uh, lots of resources for you. Our website also has all of the, the merchandise that you can get, uh, especially now in this, this weird summer weather. Uh, if you want to get a hoodie because it gets hot, cold, hot, cold. And especially if you live anywhere south of like Iowa, for some reason, everybody in every store in the world decides that their AC should be at 55 degrees. Oh so you my walk gosh, in and yes. You immediately need a jacket so or a hoodie. So we got some nice hoodies there and blankets and whatnot as well. So thank you for supporting the show. It's fun, like I said, to look at the stats every week and to see how many people are listening. And uh, hopefully next week we will have uh, less heavy stuff uh, to talk about and uh but still murder and death and all that you know besides the true crime part of it yeah, yeah true crime part yeah yeah but let's let's not have any more new crimes <laughs> all right thanks adam thank you bro